You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. I don't know, Kelly, I might not let you leave today. Very quickly, uh, first we want to welcome you. Thank you guys for coming to the bridge. I want to thank our online audience, in-house audience. Give our online audience a hand. We bless you. And um, it's, it's amazing how quickly uh, things have kind of blown up and people are coming back and, and we're trying to, um, hey, let's flash some lights. They all work. Um, oh, oh, it didn't. Some, yeah, well, you know, fluorescence. Um, we, uh, we are working fairly diligently to uh, get our children's ministries back up and running as kids come. You know, just a few weeks ago, it was like one baby in the nursery, and then a couple weeks ago, it was like seven. Um, so we want to uh, figure that out, and we're working on that. It's very fluid, and we have a lot of capable people here. Um, but we do want to try and begin to facilitate because we just want to serve people well. It's not rocket science. We just really want to serve well, um, and we want to serve better and better. And so uh, we're planning on uh, beginning to staff the nursery, uh, hopefully beginning in December. Um, but give us grace as we navigate coming out of this season and into a new season um, and a fresh one. And, uh, and so that's going on. I want to take a moment and receive your tithes and offerings, whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give. If uh, you're in-house, you want to write a check, you can write a check to the bridge or online. If you need to know how to mail that, just go to, <clears throat> go to our bridge page and, uh, or our website, bridgemetrowest.com. Um, or you can text one word, Bridge Metro West to the number 77977. We will send you a secure link by which you can give responsibly by credit card or debit card. And God, just thank you for the spirit of radical generosity that is in this house, Lord, that uh, my family has experienced firsthand. And Lord, I know the, the, how much flows into this house and how much flows out of it, God, that we could be a blessing and supply the needs of the kingdom around the world. So Lord, meet us even in the, the, the place of our pain and the place of our need today, God, and transform us from one level of glory to another level of glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just very quickly, also immediately after service, Jaywalk will be happening. There's going to be a meeting in the back corner. And uh, if you don't know what Jaywalk is, show up, walk it. Just walk it, show up. We're going to be walking like Jesus walks. Real simple. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. That'll be in the back corner. And children, you are now dismissed and you can rock and roll over to the corner with the lady who's waving her arms right now to Lisa and we will disperse you appropriately. Um, and we're, uh, man, God is just good. Amen. Amen. All the time. Um, I do want to say, I know that a lot of you have been tracking with, uh, with me and, uh, you know, I've sort of have a, uh, medically right now, the report is I'll be having surgery, 
um, some sort of surgery on my spine, but I do want to say that, um, uh, you know, I've been relatively pain-free probably for about the last month. Uh, not without some neurological type symptoms, but um, pain-wise, I was I was telling Mike Jandro that this morning. He said, "But you live in a, you know, your level is a little bit different." You know, I'm like, you know, hey, if I can sleep six hours in a night, that's really great. I feel, I feel good. Um, but um, I feel like uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, we're flying out to the School of Apostles this week and um, hoping we are, we'll be back Sunday. I know Manny, Pastor Manny will be here with the entire restoration team. I mean, as many as they, that can come. Here we go. Are you guys excited about that? I didn't even give you a chance. I just kept talking. Somebody just say, shout hallelujah. If you're excited. Okay. So we're excited about that. And it happens to be the, the, the week of uh, their fifth anniversary of the church. I mean, so I'll be talking about numbers and weird things. Debbie's seeing numbers all over the place. She's seeing 11-11s, 111s, 555-222 all over the place. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, my 10th anniversary as pastor of the Bridge Metro West. It's uh, the fifth anniversary of Restoration Church. And guys, look, and we got some folks here. Look, it, we're just doing family. I know people are like, well, what's going on? Is it restoration? Is it bridge? Is it what? Guys, it's kingdom. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, and I don't, look, this ain't message ain't any different. When I go to China, I tell them, well, I don't go there anymore because stuff, but I just tell them, hey, we're just being family. If I'm in a village in Africa, I, I literally tell them, I, I say the same thing in every place, wherever I go, whether I'm in Boston, I'm in New York. Usually I open with go Red Sox, but... <laughs> And also L.A. because Che is still grieving a few years ago. But we're just being family, guys. That's it. It's kingdom. There's only one church. And we've been, you know, I mean, back in the 90s, we used to sing the song, Break Dividing Walls. Well, maybe it's time. That's all it is. That's all it is. So I don't care where we are, who we are, what, where we meet, but we're just going to do family and we're going to do kingdom. And we're going to celebrate Restoration Church next weekend. So somebody say Amen. amen. Okay, turning the Bibles to John 16. I really, really wanted to get into John 17 this week. But I made the mistake of rereading John 16. And even though I really want to get to John 17, because it's just one of the most... My hope was to finish the book of John by the end of the year. This is not going to happen. But... Um, it's a powerful, powerful, I mean, it's just such a powerful book. And I've been reading a lot out of the Passion Translation. I always cross-reference with the New American Standard, and then I cross-reference with a, a, a original language. And I really, I, I so love and appreciate um, this translation that Dr. Brian Simmons has been working on. And, you know, there's been a few things where I kind of like, uh, you know, I question, wonder, you know, where do you get that from? And then I look at the original language and I realize, oh, that's where he got it from. And yeah, I found that even as I've traveled um, to different nations, like for China, uh, in China, for example, where uh, they translate more, I don't want to say efficiently, but more literally because they know how to embrace mystery. Whereas the Western world struggles to embrace mystery. 
because we've been caught up in our heads for so long. And so when we see something in the, the original language that doesn't make sense in our vernacular, or it doesn't make sense to our rational mind, then we begin to shift what it actually says and because we say, oh, it can't possibly mean that. And, and I'm not a, look, I'm not a scholar, but I sit with a few in person. You know, many of you don't know this, but we hired, um, we hired a scholar in residence uh, briefly for a period of time a few years ago so that I, I could have some help parsing some of these difficult issues, especially with biblical Hebrew. And so this has been a long-term journey, but I so appreciate uh, Dr. Brian Simmons and this Passion Translation, and I've been recommending it to people uh, literally all around the world. Um, people who are not believers, people who are not believers and suffering from mental illness, like severe mental illness, people that I've come across. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's been such a gift to the body. And at the same time, he has... Uh, never, perhaps never suffered more attack than he has um, as he has uh, been translating the Bible uh, in this particular translation. So um, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a long passage. And uh, I just felt like uh, we need to do this for context. And I, what, I, what I'd hoped to do was step through this entire passage which probably won't happen, but, but it might. Somebody say it might. Because Jesus is good, and maybe we could actually do it. But, you know, at the same time, I'll let you know that as we were receiving communion, I, I almost tried to drink communion from the microphone instead of the cup. I had to, wait, what, what, what am I doing? Just a little insight into my brain this morning, right? So, but his blood speaks a better word. So, why don't we all stand? Are we going to be reading a long passage? I want to honor the word of God. I think uh, my concern sometimes is what Martin Luther said um, many, many hundreds of years ago, that our thoughts of God have become too human. And the way that we treat the word of God is too cavalier. So let's honor the word. Verse 12, John 16, verse 12, and I'll read through 33. There's much more I would like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. But when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak on his own, but only what he hears from the Father. And he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. He will glorify me on the earth, for he will receive from me what is mine and reveal it to you. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. That's why I say the divine encourager will receive what is mine and reveal it to you. Soon you won't see me any longer, but then after a little while, you will see me in a new way. Some of the disciples ask each other, what does he mean? Soon you won't see me in a, in a little while. After that, you will see me in, in a new way. And what does it mean? Because I'm going to my father. So they kept on repeating, what's the meaning of a little while? We have no clue what he's talking about. I'm sure you guys have said that about me. Verse 19. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and it was obvious that they were anxious to ask him what he had meant. So he spoke up and said, let me make it quite clear. You will weep and be overcome with grief over what happens to me. The unbelieving world will be happy while you will be filled with sorrow. But know this, 
your sadness will turn into joy when you see me again. Just like a woman giving birth experiences intense labor pains in delivering her baby, yet after a little while the child is born, she quickly forgets what she went through because of the overwhelming joy of knowing that a new baby has been born into the world. So will you also pass through a time of intense sorrow where I am taken from you, but you will see me again. And then your hearts will burst with joy, with no one being able to take it from you. For here is eternal truth. When that time comes, you won't need to ask me for anything, but instead you will go directly to the Father and ask him for anything you desire, and he will give it to you because of your relationship with me. Until now, you've not been, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now you can ask and keep on asking him. Keep on asking him. And you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for and your joy will have no limits. Verse 25, I have spoken to you. I have spoken to you, you, you. I can say this. I really can. I have spoken to you using figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer teach you with veiled speech, but I will teach you about the Father with your eyes unveiled, and I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf, for you'll ask him directly because of your new relationship with me. For the Father tenderly loves you because you love me and believe that I've come from God. I came to you sent from the Father's presence and I entered into the created world and now I will leave this world and return to the Father's side. His disciples said, at last, after three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I added that part. His disciples said, at last, you're speaking to us clearly and not using veiled speech and metaphors. Now we understand that you know everything there is to know, and we don't need to question you further. And everything you've taught us convinces us that you have come directly from God. Verse 31, Jesus replied, well, now you finally believe me. I'll, I'll leave the emphasis off of that. Jesus replied, now you finally believe in me and the time has come when you will all be scattered and each one of you will go and go your own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am never alone for the father is always with me and everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this believing world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must must be courageous for I have conquered the world. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, you may be seated. Now let's walk through this passage and see how far we get. I had a name for this message, but it, it I don't even know. It, it's changed. If I had to name it now in my head, not what's on my iPad, I would name it the process of discipleship because you've got to understand that the context of this whole chapter, he's speaking to the twelve. Okay, and he's speaking to the 12 after having walked with them for three years. And there were no breaks. It wasn't just Sunday morning service. It was Sunday morning service, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 24-7 with Jesus. That is what being a Christian actually means. It means being so uh, consumed by the nature of Jesus that you actually look like him. 
And so the issue is that, you know, we read books about the authority that we have in Christ. And I'm not trying to create a fear in you, but I'm just saying that, you know, some people are trying to do things in an authority that they haven't been given because they haven't actually walked with Jesus. And so they get themselves into trouble because they go after spirits or they go after things that they don't actually have the authority to step into. And so they start getting wrecked. Okay. Three years, 24-7, walking with Jesus, getting slapped around a little bit. I'm saying, now you finally believe me. I took the blinders off and just give it to you straight. I got to because I'm about to die. I might as well say it straight now. I get it. Verse 12, it says, there's more, much more that I would like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. The beauty of the Lord is that he understands the nature of his word. And he's still doing this today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, Paul talks about the mystery revealed, yes. And Jesus is the mystery revealed. But Peter talks about increasing in our knowledge of God, adding to our faith, adding things to our faith. It, you know, when we become born again, we are in the baby state to the point that the scripture even talks about, man, we got to stop drinking the milk of repentance. There is a time for repentance and then there's a time to go be the messenger. But Jesus says in this moment to his disciples that have been with him for three years, they've been in the Jesus seminary. They're about to get their diplomas. But even in that, he's saying, there's, man, there's so much more because he has now the knowledge of time. The alpha and the omega, the author and the finisher of faith is now speaking from a place where he's saying, man, I, there, are, there are so many kingdom mysteries I want to reveal to you, but you just can't grasp it yet. There are a number of reasons for this, but let me give you a couple because this whole, these next couple of chapters really speak of the process of discipleship. And you have to understand where the disciples are in being discipled. If you're here this morning, you have stepped into discipleship. If you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, you're about to step into discipleship. What does that just mean? That just means walking with Jesus, but not just with Jesus, with people who are following Jesus. Jesus didn't call the one, he called the 12. And then when he called the 12, he sent out the 70. And then when the Holy Spirit fell upon the upper room, by the way, which was populated by 120 men, which means they, they, that's how they counted back in the day. Some scholars believe that there might have been up to 500 between men, women, and children in the upper room so that when the Holy Spirit fell on the 120, which was the metric that they used at the time, which was 120 men, there could have been 500 people spilling out into the streets speaking in tongues for the very first time. And then it was 3,000 saved in the day. I know people, I know some of y'all say, oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's never been just you and Jesus. 
I just, just in the last couple of days, I heard somebody say, you know, I, you know, I have to go to church. I am the church. You're not the church. We are the church. And if you are not connected to the we, even the people that you don't like, then you're not in the church. We collectively are the church. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men and women and children unto me. And that doesn't mean it's just not likely that everybody he's going to be drawn from around the world, you're going to like them but you're going to love them because if Christ is in you, that's what you do. So he says, there's much more I would like to say to you, but it's, it's more than you can grasp. Why? Because you are responsible for the revelation that you receive. And he knew that at the level of maturity that they were at in that moment, they could not bear the weight of the revelation that he wanted to put on their shoulders. Everywhere in scripture where grace is given, responsibility is assumed. I know, and I don't hear much about it. And I, honestly, I don't pay attention. Maybe I should pay attention more to what's going on out there in Christendom. And, you know, since I, I've kind of stepped back from social media, I mean, I'm sort of on it. You know, I try to post something social media But, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, every time you, you post something on social media, someone's got an opinion. I, I don't care. Like, I mean, just this week, I, I posted a scripture and I still brought out the religious police. Like you can't even post a scripture. You can't even quote the Bible without being, I'm telling you, I'm talking about personal attacks. I'm not talking like, I'm talking personal attacks. I'm like, man, you can't even post a scripture without people getting lit up. And then they start searching everything. You know? And I'm like, you know what? We just, it's just time to, I, I don't got time. We just blocking. I don't have time. We got kingdom stuff to do, man. We got people to see, people to see saved. Like, I don't have time to have a conversation with people that don't actually want discourse. They just want to tell you what they think because that's what the religious spirit does. It's a spirit. I pray and I bless those who curse me. And I understand that it's a spirit that often attaches itself to the heart through wounding. We cannot allow our negative past experiences to shape our theology. And the strength of the doctrine of cessationism is loosening its grip upon the church of Jesus Christ more and more every year. Because there are more and more documented releases of the demonstrable power of God every month. Let me tell you, the church is not dying. Let me tell you, I'm talking about debates. I, I was talking to, uh, to someone who's in seminary just a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about this debate between a cessationist and, uh, you know, a non-cessationist in, uh, in their seminary. I'm one of the most prominent seminaries in the United States. And they finally came, there was, finally came to this, this place where it's, well, it's, it doesn't even make sense, but well, the, the, the demonstration of the power of God has, has sort of ceased in the West, but it's for third world countries. <laughs> you know why it's happening in third world countries? Because they, the, they get faith. They, they're not in their heads and they've already seen the power of the enemy. So they're looking for the power of God. Amen. Everywhere 
grace is given, responsibility is assumed. Everywhere in scripture, let me just give you one example. I could go, I could trace you through Gen literally Genesis to Revelation. And this puts a dagger in the heart of what some have called greasy grace theology. You know, what is that? It just means that, well, we live under grace and so you pretty much can do anything. You can go out, you can cuss, you can do whatever you want, you can live the lifestyle that you want, you can, you know, I, that's fine. I mean, look, I've been there. I have my days. I'm pretty transparent about that. One of these days, like, you know, I rue the day that the Bridge Metro West becomes some mega church and people start following me around on cameras with cameras during rush hour traffic. Because one of these days, <laughs> someone could be reading my lips. I mean, every single day I leave this place, someone runs a red light. I mean, like, like three seconds. I, you don't pull out under Route 9 when the light turns green. You got to wait. You got to look both ways like you teach your kids to cross the street because I'm telling you every single day someone goes blowing through that thing. Usually in a Prius. No, I'm sorry. If you're a Prius driver, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that. But that did happen. And she was looking down on her phone as she rolled slowly through the intersection. If I wasn't driving my car, I'm, never mind. Genesis 6-8. I don't, I'm not going to give you the whole story, but it's about Noah. A lot of stuff going on the earth. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Many of the more modern translations say favor. The Hebrew word for grace is favor. They're interchangeable. Because frankly, grace is favor. What's the point? Again, where grace is given, responsibility is assumed. When we've been given grace, then we bear the weight of responsibility of being royalty. We get grafted in as royalty under the direction of the king. And when you are under the direction of the king, as Paul puts it, I believe to the church of Corinth, he says, we, you are now therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors have access to nations. Ambassadors have access to governmental realms when the king sends them on a mission from his throne. There is a weight of responsibility when grace comes upon you, when favor, we all, oh, we want the favor of God, give me favor. God, give me favor in the marketplace. God, give me favor in my family. God, get, when you get grace and favor, you better watch out because responsibility is coming. I'm not telling you to shy away from it. I'm just telling you how it is. Noah found grace. Your translation probably says favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then what happened? He had a moment of like, oh, I got grace. I got favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then God says, build an ark. Wait, wait, what? what? I was just planning to go on church on Sunday. I wasn't signing up for all this. I didn't think I had to, I had to go and and speak a simple word of encouragement to the girl the drive through lane at Dunkin' Donuts because I'm, you know, I'm late to work and, and I got to go. And well, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I had to go and bring a kingdom rebuke to the construction workers at my workplace. I, I didn't think that, that's uh, great. I just, I just go to church on Sunday and I just want to prophesy in church on Sunday. I just want someone to give me a microphone. I just, why didn't Paul recognize me? 
Where grace is given, responsibility is assumed. When I looked at Mary's face this morning, I asked her, well, what is it? And then I said, you know what? I don't need to know because I know Jesus when I see it. She didn't tell me what she was going to say beforehand, but I know Jesus when I see it. And sometimes I got to change my plan to make room for his. I got to say it again, where grace is given, responsibility is assumed. You got to understand that we're talking about the process of discipleship. We all want grace. We all want favor. But we bear every one of us that have said yes to Jesus. You say yes before you know what your mission is. And he's going to pull you to it and through it. If you faint not, which is the King James in Galatians 6. And it may pull you to a power destiny which will leave a legacy, but the pain in the process will test you before you get the power. You know, in our stream, we, we talk about a happy God. We, where God's in a good, he is in a good mood, but he also knows how to father kids. And sometimes you got to take things from your kids so that they can step into what God has for them. When I was growing up, it was called grounding. I was talking to Deb about this the other day. I was like, man, like we never really ground Riley. That's because he's so much better than I was as a kid. And I was grounded for weeks of my life. Weeks. Not like I, I'm going to take your device for a day. I mean, in my room. And there was no, you know what I had in my room? I had a little cassette player. You know, the one where you press play and I had the little speaker built in and you could record things too. It's fancy one. But I couldn't listen to the music I wanted to listen to, but I could listen to Keith Green. You don't know who Keith Green is? Go Google him right now. Here's some good stuff. But I'd smuggle music into my house. <laughs> My mama's watching now. Sorry, mama. The pain in the process. See, a lot of people don't want to talk about the pain, what it takes to step into leadership, but people don't want to talk about the pain that it takes to be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. We want to talk about how nice and rosy everything is and how good you're going to feel when the spirit comes upon you. But let me tell you that God will use pain in your process. When you go to a, a esthetician, which I've, I've never really done. I mean, I don't get my nails done or like that. I'm not opposed to getting a facial someday. I guess I need to shave first. But they'll do something called exfoliation. Come on and see, Jules know what I'm saying? I don't wanna know why you know, but that's okay. No, that's good. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, I want, I don't, where'd Jeff Odell go? I know he got a, he got a facial a couple years ago, pre-COVID, when Ann Hernan got her business. He went on dummy for him and be like a, well, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. He's not, I feel bad now. It's terrible. It is better. I, okay, I'm good with that. But what, what is, what is it at the molecular level? But I'm telling you, it's catastrophic to the surface of your, of your skin. And I don't know if it feels good or not because I've never done it. 
But all what I do know is that you look better on the other side. Iron sharpening iron, it's in the Bible. This is why you got to be connected with people. Iron sharpening iron is not a gentle process. You want to know what the best iron sharpening iron relationship I know? It's the marriage relationship. And then the next one is the parental relationship. Y'all do baby showers and you talk about how great life is going to, oh, you're going to have a baby. We're going to give you all these gifts. Like nobody says, oh man, you don't even know. And I'm not saying that you should. Go ahead, like feed them the Kool-Aid. That's fine. They're going to find out soon enough. I bring in people for premarital counseling. I was like, you don't need premarital counseling. You need postmarital counseling because right now everything's fine. But wait till the day when you have a fight and you don't get to go back to your own house. Remember that, Rosie? We still haven't really done that. We just hang out now. But I said the same thing to Sarah and David. Look, you need it after the fact because before the fact, you think you you know you can't even conceive of the day that you wake up to my next to my spouse and say, "Oh God, what did we do?" <laughs> I told Jules this week. I was like, "Bro, you're gonna have your hands full because that woman you're engaged to is fire." Jules, I hugged you this morning just because I want to smell like you. That's a, that's a sermon in and of itself. Watch out when you find grace in his eyes. He found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes. The eyes that burn like fire. Yet he found grace in the eyes of God. It may pull you to a power destiny which will leave a legacy, but the pain in the process will test you before you get to the power. Let me reread verse 22 through 24. So will you also pass through a time of intense sorrow when I am taken from you? But you will see me again, and then your hearts will burst with joy with no one being able to take it from you. Let me just stop there. If you read now the path of and the lives and the lifestyles of the disciples who became apostles, the sent out ones, if you read the trajectory of their lives and you read this verse, you might think that they don't meet. But I'm telling you that those who have been called according to his name and his purpose, even if they're in a prison in chains at midnight, the word of God still holds true that he has given you a joy and no one can take it away from you unless you give it away. Because you have responsibility. You have authority over the, it starts in your own heart. You have authority of your own sphere. And if you're letting the enemy take your joy from your own heart, and I'm not talking about being happy, I'm talking about being in the midst of suffering and still knowing that the king sits upon the throne and that the love of God not only comes upon me, but moves through me. Some of the greatest ministry times I've ever had in my life was not necessarily up here with a microphone, but it was when I was laying in an oncology ward in North, North Carolina in April of 2007, May of 2007. It's amazing what God can do if you keep your eyes on him in the midst of suffering. For here, verse 23, for here is eternal truth. As if Jesus spoke truth that was not eternal. 
but he had to specify that for them. When that time comes, you won't need to ask me for anything, but instead you will go directly to the Father and ask him for anything you desire, and he will give it to you because of your relationship with me. Now, the footnote in the Passion Translation says, also in his name. Until now, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now you can ask and keep on asking him and you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for and your joy will have no limits. Why could Jesus say that to the 12 with confidence? Because first of all, he knew what was about to happen. He knew that even on the other side of resurrection, there was going to be 40 days of intense instruction with a resurrected Jesus. And at the end of that, there would be 40 days in an upper room where they would wait and they would watch and they would pray and they would order Uber Eats and eat Chinese food. And then the Holy Spirit fell in for the very first time. God didn't just move upon mankind. He took up residence inside. But he said this to the 12 because they walked with him 24-7 for three years. Constantly. Jesus in their face. What does it mean to ask in his name? See, I know, I taught a whole message on this a couple years ago, but I know, you know, we like the name of Jesus. We, th we grew up thinking we could just rubber stamp a prayer with the name. But his name occupies space. It's his nature. The nature in his name is synonymous. Yeshua the anointed one, every curve of every letter of his name, coursing with the power of his word. He upholds all things, all things by the word of his power. He spoke things into existence using the substance of faith because he was teaching us how we could function even at the beginning. Now, I'm not saying that we can create worlds from, from the sound of our mouth because we ain't him, but the substance of faith calls things that are not as though they are until they manifest in the reality of our present. But it has to be in his name. What does that look like? I think that we're safe enough that I can ask for five, I wasn't gonna do this today, but five volunteers. I need five volunteers right now, quickly, quickly. Just come on up, okay, Craig. Shelly's like, why are you doing that, Craig? Why are you doing that? Okay, Craig, you're gonna be my Mercedes Benz. You're gonna stand over there. All right, the rest of you, you gotta crawl up in a circle. I need, a, I need another volunteer. I know, but I need more now. Now, Stan, you, Craig, you're not in a circle. You're my Mercedes. Step up. Now, you're in a circle. I need another volunteer. I need a Ferrari. You guys stand over here. It's for me, it's cars, guys. It's for me, it's cars. But you know that old song, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Okay, we got to cut that from the video. When you know Jesus and you walk with him, you find grace and favor in his eyes. You can't do that unless you have proximity with him. And you've got to understand that in his name and his nature, there are things that when you were in the womb, he already planned for you. So Roger, I want you to come up. I want you to stand in the middle of this circle. I don't like to tell you what you is yet. <laughs> now, 
I honor some things that were taught historically over the last 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or 60 years, but it's not name it, claim it, unless you have intimacy with God. Because when you walk with him and you are intimate with him and you find favor in his eyes, then you will begin to see what is in his name for you. Now in that, you know, we might pray like, you know, <laughs> I'll be honest, Papa Che said, Paul, I'm believing for a Mercedes for you. Now I think he wanted, he said that because he wasn't super comfortable in my car, but I was like, it better be an AMG because I need a V8. Like, I don't want to see 300. Like, I don't want the force I need. I need to go zero to 60 or zero to the speed limit as briskly as I can. Gas money. I don't care about gas money. I'm ready to burn some fossil fuels. Everybody's going to be electric anyway in five to 10 years. Why? Why don't I need gas money? So I might say, hey, Papa Che, he'd be leaving for a Mercedes. I'd be like, oh, I'm praying for, I see a Mercedes, God, now I pray in the name of Jesus. Well, I'm going to manifest that, that Mercedes in my reality right now. There's a whole, you know, a whole, almost a doctrine of manifesting that is not from God. With custom exhaust, it's got to be done. Well, the custom exhaust is coming, baby. <laughs> if you weren't here last week, you got to watch the service. It is coming. You're, gonna, you're not going to just see me coming, you're going to hear me coming. But it's okay. It's just a Kia. It's okay. It's, it's good for religious circles. <laughs> but you know what? I don't really want a Mercedes. No, I, I, it's the next day, and I'm praying a different prayer. I don't, I don't want a Mercedes. I'm like, I want, I want, okay, you're not a Ferrari. You're a Lotus, because I'm going to be driving a Lotus this week. But it's a British handmade. It's beautiful. They, a lot of weird things break on them, and that's what happens with those cars. But I still want one. Okay, so you're my Lotus. Like, God, I've just seen this Lotus. I just drove this Lotus in L.A., God. And people know that I love cars. And so, God, I just pray now in the name of Jesus, would you manifest a lotus in my life, God? I want to lift up my garage in the morning and you replace miraculously my Kia and you put in a lotus, God. Oh, Evora S with the Edelbrock supercharged engine on top of that Camry engine that they use, God. And I pray that now in the name of Jesus. I know, I was getting there. You see, you felt some heat on that? I was like... That might happen. I'm going to drive home and be like, open the garage. Oh, what? <laughs> but then we look at Roger. Now, I've been walking with Jesus. And I've been peering into his eyes. And by my relationship with him, I see into the heart of the Father through the name of Jesus. What does he have for me? A village in the mountains of South Africa where they've never seen a white man and you're going to sleep on a dung floor hut and they're going to feed you out of honor a breakfast of organs that you know not the origin of. And they're going to honor you by spreading fresh dung on the floor because that's how they do. But if you go in my name and you pray in my name, you will see the purpose that I have for you in that moment and an entire village will be saved. Amen. When I look into your name, 
I see the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I choose to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you look full into his wonderful face, you forget about the things that will be added unto you because you are so enraptured by the glorious purpose of God and his love and his goodness that you just say, yes, Lord, here I am. I don't know what the mission is, God, but what I'm looking at is so much better than I've ever seen before, God. And so would you take the scales off of my eyes? Would you unveil my eyes, God, that I would see what's in your name? And I know that when I name that thing, it will come to pass. God, when I look into your name, I see New England. I see Maine to Rhode Island. I see Augusta to Providence. I see Boston to Springfield, God. And I recall the prophetic words that you've spoken over my life, God. And Lord, I recall the prophetic words that were spoken about you and your nature and how your foot is standing upon the ground in Massachusetts. And you're just waiting for a people that would peer into your name and say, yes, Lord, we will take this ground, God. You have placed our feet upon this ground for such a time as this. And New England will come into the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Because I'm not distracted by extraneous things. I'm seeking first the kingdom and the destiny that's upon our lives, God. And now that I name revival, now that I name renewal, now that I name reformation, God, it will come to pass because I'm seeing and declaring the things that are in the space of your name Jesus do you get it I'm not saying a Mercedes is bad and you know I'm not saying a Lotus is bad but you can't rubber stamp that request with the name of Jesus unless you see it in his name amen you guys can go back to your seats give them a hand they were great volunteers What does it mean to ask in his name? You have to know him. You have to be able to hear his voice. You have to be able to hear inside his voice and know his heart. And when you know his heart, you will know and see what is in his name for you. And when you can see it and name it, it is yours but only if it's in his name. When you're walking in his name, you will hear and you will follow, even if it doesn't make sense. Acts chapter 10, 19 through 21. I get a chuckle out of this one. Peter has a vision. And in the vision, there's food set before him that is unclean for Jews. There's, you know, tell you guys can read it, chapter 10. But you got to understand, Peter is a learned man now. Grown up, he's, he's all grown up in, in Hebrew culture, and he knows what's clean and not clean. And so he has the vision, and now he's sitting around trying to figure it out because it doesn't agree with his history. It doesn't agree with what he thought his doctrine was. And so, verse 19, while Peter was reflecting on the vision... The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Now, some of us would stop there and be like, But God, you just gave me a revelation. I need, to, I need to steward that revelation well. And I don't understand what this means. Even though I think he understood what it meant, he just didn't want to believe it. Because it didn't make sense. It was not comfortable. 
for him. And God knows that, so he gives them further instruction in verse 20. He says, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them. Somebody say, get up, get up. go downstairs, and accompany them. Now, some of you just kind of moan that. I want, I want you to say it like a mother who has told their child to do their chores 15 times already, and they're tired of shouting at their child through their noise-canceling earphones. I want you to declare it like a mama who loves her child, but she's in righteous anger. Somebody say, get up. Go downstairs and accompany them. The verse goes on, without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the man and said, behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? What do I want to focus on here? We're in the process of discipleship. Misgivings, this word misgivings. It's a wonderful word in the Greek. It means to stagger, to waver, or to doubt. What is the one thing the enemy sowed into humanity in the garden? Doubt. It was doubt. He just said, did God really say? And now we've been spinning off ever, ever since. I know I say it a lot, but I gotta say it a lot till we get it. When you fall into doubt, then you have fallen into the plant that the enemy sowed into first man, first woman, in the garden. Doubt is what will cause you to hide from the face of God because you're afraid that if you come heart to heart and face to face with him, that judgment will be greater than mercy. But the word says mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm telling you, when you are in Christ, I, it, you know, it matters to a certain extent. There are consequences for actions, but in the realm of the kingdom, there is grace that is sufficient for you and mercies that are new every morning to the point that, man, whatever happened with you last night or whatever kind of fight you had on the way here this morning, it becomes irrelevant in the light of the cross when you yield to him. Misgivings to stagger, to wave to doubt. The enemy has sowed into humanity doubt. But what has already God already given us? A seed of? Well, I mean, I don't see faithful people here. Right? I see timid people. He's not giving you a spirit of timidity in the New American Standard. I love that word. But of love, power, and discipline in the New American Standard. I like, we like sound mind, but we don't like discipline. Because sound mind is something that happens to you. Discipline is something that you got to walk out. God gave us a seed of what? Man, I mean, she got, we got two people that got it. God gave us a seed of what? If you can't walk in faith here, if you can't declare things in here, you ain't going to do it out there. Man, I grew up as a kid playing soccer, and all my coaches that were good said, you're going to play like you practice, so you better practice like you play. When we're in here, we are practicing the presence of God so that when you go out there, you're just going to walk it out. Faith. And we're going to come into a crash landing. Now it's beautiful, I know. But you know what time of year it is, Amy. You know what time of year it is? Anyway, here's what, here's what the, 
The religious spirit says, I remember growing up in this, you know, when, when Christian musicians were starting to come out, you know, the Jesus people, kids were coming out and they were, they were really, you know, they were just pouring out their hearts. They were taking this, these creative gifts that God had given them and releasing them unto the Lord. But then the religious people came in and said, oh, wait a second. I don't like those lyrics. They don't, they don't line up with theology. Well, you know what theologians actually say? Don't build your theology off the Psalms because it's the creative expression of the heart. You've got to, I'm telling you, I mean, there are things in the Psalms where we, you know, God, don't remain silent. God, you know, would you hear me? God, you're, I mean, they're, they're crying out to God out of anguish. And when you're crying out to God out of anguish, you might say some things that are theologically co- incorrect. And, but what we've done with the creativity that God has birthed among the creative is that we've caused them to dumb themselves down to the lowest level of the creative in the room. Because if we actually allow them to be creative, we might lose some people. Why do we allow prophetic songs? Because it's the creative essence of the spirit that allows us to create in the moment. And when we allow God to do that, he begins to activate himself in the atmosphere. And I'm telling you, salvation, healing, and deliverance can happen in the midst of a sound that is not a sermon. And so verse 25, here's what the, the religious spirit will say. You know, God doesn't say anything and, and you know, he, he makes the gospel clear. See, that's the problem that we have. That, you know, it, when I get these emails, I get these messages. They want like every social media post to have like this clear presentation of the gospel. Why did you just post one verse? Why did you just post half of one verse? I was kind of hoping that you would read it. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus did, he, he put everything in context and made everything clear. Well, I mean, here we go. Verse 25, I have spoken to you using figurative language. I think it's Luke, Luke chapter six. It says, I speak in parables so that they could hear but not be hearing. Or they could be hearing and not hear, that they would be seeing and not see. As my dear friend Don Potter says, God is kind, but he's not necessarily nice. A lot of people like to say, well, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Well, he is, except when he's not. Sometimes he gently knocks on the door of your heart. Sometimes he blows you back 20 feet through five rows of chairs because the word says God does whatever he pleases. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search a matter out. God has said that we are, a, we are priests and kings before our God. We are priests and a kingdom before our God. There's the singular and the plurality of who we are always. We are individually believers in Christ, but we are part of this totality that is the body of Christ. And what we get is we get the finger that's starting to criticize the toe because they don't function the same way. Well, they're not designed to function the same way. I know there's some weird people that can do handstands on their finger, but that ain't me. I just want to walk on my feet like a, a normal person because when I look, like, look at that, it kind of hurts in my soul. Every joint supplies, even the ones that you don't understand. And it did not cease at the passing of the apostles. You cannot find that in scripture. 
You cannot. It's based on the negative past experiences of people who prayed for a thing and it didn't come out the way that they thought. And so we built a theology around it. So Jesus said in verse 31, after he becomes clear, and I feel like he had a little attitude in his voice, now you finally believe me. Now we got the story of the disciples here and the apostles from beginning to end. Can he say that to you now? Now you finally believe me. Now you finally believe what is capable, what is possible if you allow me to flow through you. Now, will you believe me if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness? Then all these things will be added unto you that are in my name. And then in 33, he says, and everything I've taught you, in all the types and shadows and all of the figurative speech, everything. He didn't say just the clear stuff at the end. He said everything, every parable, everything that was hidden from the eyes of the religious elite so that they would see, but they wouldn't really see. They would hear, but they wouldn't really hear because why does he speak in types and shadows and figurative speech? Because he lays out the seed of his word waiting for the hungry, waiting for the ones that will come to the table, even if it's in the presence of the enemy, yes. waiting for the ones who would say, I will go where angels fear to tread. Well, they don't really fear to tread anywhere because they just go with God wherever God sends them. But you get the sentiment. Everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me Knowing that I am about to be beaten, whipped, scourged, the very hairs of my beard pulled out of my face, that I will have to carry and bear my own cross down the streets among those who just a short time ago praised me, but now they mock and revile me. Now I'm going to be the one who's stretched to the breaking point in nails piercing my hands, my wrists, and my feet. And I will be raised up upon a cross between two mere thieves upon a high place for all to see so that I can draw all men unto me. So in that context, everything I've taught you is so that in that moment, in my greatest suffering, that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence even as you rest in me, even if it's in the midst of suffering. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. Would you stand with me?
we made it through that whole passage. It's the process of discipleship. I don't know if that's a catchy name for sermon or not, but it is what it is. And he wants you to know him so that you can find grace and favor in his eyes. Knowing that when grace and favor come, they come upon your lives. The responsibility of being a son, of being a daughter, of being the bride of Christ, it comes with attachments of royalty. But don't worry, he'll teach you how to walk. He'll teach you how to hold your head high in the midst of pain, in the midst of this cloud and weight of doubt and offense that is upon the land. He will teach you how to stop for the one and to pursue the many. He will teach you how to walk like he walked because he's been doing that ever since the garden, teaching his kids how to walk. He will teach you how to seek his face and how to find the things in his name, in your workplace, in your business, in your calling, in your entrepreneurship, in your destiny. So that that thing that he has called you to will be like a gravitational force that pulls your life on that trajectory. And all you're looking at is his face. You start, you stop asking why God, when God, why, when, and you're just looking full into his wonderful face and the things of this earth begin to grow strangely dim in the light and the light and the light until all you see and know is him. And you become like him when he says, I can do nothing of myself. I only do what I see the Father doing. And so you wake up in the morning and you're not focused on the aches and the the pains or the, the difficult moments in your family or your workplace or, oh, it's Monday. I'm just working for the weekend. But you wake up and you roll out of the bed and you stretch your hands out into the air and you shout, hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh and give me this day my daily bread because this is the prayer that the king of glory gave to me to access in the now as though he just said it that's what happens when you become like him that's what happens when he begins to pull you into the process of discipleship and man you get he'll bring you into that moment that Jehovah's sneaky moment where it's where he's like oh you want to say yes to this I'm so good you're gonna want to say yes to me oh man the joy that is gonna fill you right now you want to say yes to this but then on the other side of that yes is the mission get up go downstairs and accompany them without doubt, without misgivings, without staggering or waving because it's what's inside his name. And when you're inside his name, there's such a confidence 
He has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of love and power and discipline to be like Peter, who obeyed the voice of the Lord. He got up, he went downstairs, and even though he probably had a little disagreement, a doctrinal disagreement in that moment, he did not doubt. Just a moment for our online audience. We're going to have online ministry for you. BridgeMetroWest.com forward slash ministry rooms. We got teams ready and waiting for you right now. But first I want to ask you, do you really know him? Do you really know him? My job isn't to close the deal. My job is just to bring you to a point of decision. Do you really know him? Are you really walking this thing out? Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've been in church or you come into a place. I know it's been a weird and wild and wacky 18 months. I know the spirit of offense has hit the land. I know the clouds of doubt that have, have, have come upon the minds of even the most mature. I know and I understand. But let me tell you that his grace is sufficient for you in this moment. Let me tell you that his love Love endures forever, and He will supply all your needs that are in His name according to His riches and glory. And He's able to do above and beyond anything that you could ever ask or think. Do you know Him? We're going to pray a prayer together, and that's how we're going to close. And we're going to open up this altar space, and I, I don't really feel necessarily that I'm gonna have altar ministry teams up here. We're gonna have ministry teams back there, but I, if you come for, I want you to just do business with God. I'm talking about like old school Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, come to the altar and just do business with God. And I'm not gonna cajole you. I'm not gonna wait for you. I'm just gonna, this is what it is. Cause I ain't here to make decisions for you. I'm not here to spoon feed you. I'm here to equip you for the work of the ministry. And that means you gotta work. Love, power, and discipline. Discipline ain't something that happens. It's something that you carry out. It's a walk. It's a lifestyle. You're getting up and going downstairs. I pray this prayer after me. We all just going to do business with God right now, right here in this moment. God, I want to know you. And I accept your gift of life to me. I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, teach me how to walk toward your face that I might, might find grace and favor in your eyes. I say yes to you today. Now would you reveal to me your love and your mission that I may carry it out with fullness of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to close with this one scripture. We were at Donna Woislaw's mom's funeral yesterday, and this was the benediction, but I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Close your eyes and posture yourself to receive. Now, may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him 
And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. God, I declare that this house now is filled with radiators that were designed to cool the internals of the body of Christ, but to release the heat of the kingdom on the outside. As we go from this place, we radiate hope, we radiate joy, we radiate fire, we radiate power, we radiate anointing. God, I thank God for radiators here today. Seal this time with your precious Holy Spirit. No little fox is coming to steal even one word that has been deposited in the soil of our hearts. God, that which is of you, let it go deep and deeper. And everywhere we turn, God, I ask that you would just put your face in front of ours. I appreciate again, God, I, I appreciate free will, but my will ain't that great. Put Jesus in my face. And Jesus, would you put the Father in my face? Would you lead me to places and spaces that I once feared to go? Because now I trust that you are able to do above and beyond anything that I could ever ask or think. So over this house, over this region, I speak blessing, 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 shalom, shalom, shalom in the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the name of the Spirit, who is holy. You need to do business with God, come and just do business with God. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.